I won't mess with the microphone here, but uh, it's a it's a great day. Uh, it's, we're we're blessed by God in, in all sorts of ways. Everett Hufford is going to preach to us here in just a minute. He's been here uh, spending some time with us this weekend. As we've been talking about, as we've been praying about as a church, uh, preparing for our time to appoint some new elders and deacons here in the next next few months. So Everett's been here talking with uh, with with the church for anybody who was who's wanted to be here, or people that were prospective elders and deacons, and just walking us through some some aspects of what that means. And uh, so he's he was my professor. He's my academic advisor when I went to school last time. And so I know that uh, he's got a lot of stories about me that he has promised he will not tell. Okay, so don't even ask. He's not going to tell. But I know that he's been a blessing in in, uh, the life of Sylvia and I and the life of many of us here and excited for him to come and speak to us today. Everett, come on up. Thank you, Chris. It, it is always good to be here. I've told him yesterday, the group that uh, together, that I feel like a, an honorary member. But in reality, I'm just a part of the extended family for this church. And I know you have a lot of people that are a part of your extended family. And given the funeral that we had yesterday, keep in mind that all those who've passed before are part of your extended family. And uh, I... Someone introduced this to me years ago, and it's, it kind of stuck with me. You know, when we break bread together, do you realize you're breaking bread also with those who've passed before? And I think it's important to remember that that's in preparation for the time we'll all be together in eternity together uh, around the throne of God. So it's, it's good to always uh, be re- reminded of that. As I talk about leading and development of leaders, experience has told me that I also have to talk about following. And I've also observed, as I've had opportunity to be with churches in Africa, Asia, and Middle East, and Europe, all in the last five years I've been with churches and church leaders in all those places, that every church, I mean, excuse me, every culture has its own way of corrupting what it means to follow and to lead. And it's shaped by the politics of that part of the world or it's shaped by the traditions and whatever it is that every culture has to adjust in some ways to what God intends following and leading to be. And sometimes we have to have a a course adjustment to, to be on track. And so when we talk about leaders, sometimes it's easy for us in our culture to think of business leaders and how that functions or in educational institutions. And how leadership is done in the church is not that way. Jesus did not come as a king, the kind of king they were expecting in Jerusalem. Jesus came as a humble servant. He kind of turned the world upside down. And he realized it's not the power and might of Rome. It's not the the power and might that someone like King David would have had that will transform the world. It was 12 men who were viewed as second class, uneducated, not respected in Jerusalem kind of men, but they were good, good men who were simply willing to follow Christ. And out of that willingness to follow Christ emerged 12 apostles who Paul considers the foundation of the church. There are leaders, but not because of some powerful position. There are leaders because of their following, the way they followed Christ. 
So I want to take these few minutes this morning to encourage all of us and how what kind of followers we are, because we can never be good leaders in the kingdom of God unless we're also followers at the same time and all the time. Because we have assembled here together today as disciples of Christ. We are followers of Christ. And sometimes we need to be reminded what that means. The song we just sang at the end of it, it said, This is my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. This is my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. Yesterday you honored the life of Carrie, who was led by the Lord. And that's, I think, the song that we all want to sing, that we want to end well. We want to have the Lord lead us all of our lives. But for the Lord to lead us, I've got to be a good follower. And I need some help in doing that. So let me start with, uh, assuming my PowerPoint is up, but there we go. Followers, what kind of followers does God want? Well, here are some questions just to give you a little quiz this morning in terms of what kind of follower are you? Fortunately, you don't have to answer this to anybody and don't nudge your spouse when we get to some of these questions. But how well do you follow someone who is over you in authority? Because I'm assuming at your work or in school or wherever you, we are all under someone's authority. We're under the government authority, state and local government, all of that. I mean, how well do you submit to that authority? Or how well do you follow the spiritual gifts of others? In the body of Christ, we all have different gifts. And it's God's design that as each one of you use your gift, I submit to you and follow you as you use that gift. If you have the gift of generosity and you're concerned about the children's home or helping someone in need and you say, come on, let's do it. Any of you who respond to that request, you're following their leadership in giving. If someone is good at teaching among you, then as they open the Word before you, you follow their leadership in studying the Word of God. And on and on it goes that we respect how God has gifted different people in the body and we submit to that. Or how well do you follow the consensus of a group when the opinion of the group may be different from your opinion? This is a challenge and this is where the American culture really is challenged by the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, if we all seek the Lord first, then there are things we are willing to sacrifice for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ. But Americans don't like that. We are so individualistic, and we we always want our way, we always kind of want to see things our way, that it's hard for us to make those adjustments. And that's why marriages struggle, because marriage is a giving in. It is a giving up. And anybody married for a long period of time will have said this somewhere along the way. I'm not going there. It's not worth the battle. Do you know what I mean? We just realize, you know, I've got an opinion on this. I, you know, I, this is important to me, but it's not worth the relationships. I'm just going to let it go. That's with two people. What do you do with 50 people? What do you do with 150 people? There's got to be times where we say, you know, I don't like that. That's not my preference. But I'm going to let it go for the sake of peace and harmony. Now, that doesn't mean we keep our opinions to ourselves. We need to express those opinions. And a lot of times those opinions are heard by others. And they hear things they hadn't even thought about. It's important to have good, open, healthy communication. But at the end of the day... 
What is the consensus of the group? Am I willing to submit to that? And this is very important as you appoint elders and deacons. God wants the, want you as a church to appoint from among yourselves people who are spiritually mature to lead in those ways. And it may be the consensus of the group that you're not ready to lead yet. Do you have your feelings hurt about that? Are you willing to be a follower? Every good leader is initially and fundamentally a good follower in the kingdom of God. Not the way it often works in the world, but that's the way it works in the church. Are you willing to follow any leader? Are you willing to follow directions from someone? The other day we were going through some stuff. Uh, we're pretty much yeah, mothers at a point where she's in nursing care, never walk again. And I mean, we're having to deal with a lot of her things. And she actually had, <clears throat> going through some of her stuff, my second grade report card. I thought I was a pretty good kid. <laughs> I do remember this vaguely, but it, there's now documented evidence. I had really good grades, but on the back, the teacher's comment was, does not listen and follow directions. Because I figured I knew as much as she did. No, it does not listen and follow directions. And I have since kind of learned how to do that. But it's tough for all of us at times, because we don't like to be told what to do. Even if it's the right thing to do, often we don't like to do this. But when we're following Christ, we're willing to accept his directions. My favorite place on the earth, and there are several favorite places, Montana and New Zealand are two of them, but the favorite place is Galilee. Galilee is a small lake, but it has a huge impact on all of our lives and world history because it was along the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus did all of his teaching. The scripture just read where Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury the dead and so on. That's where this took place. Over here on this side, on the east side, is where he performed miracles and a whole herd of, sh of pigs went into the, into the sea. Right here is where the Mount of Beatitudes would be located. Uh, Capernaum is here. Tiberius is there and it gave the name. It's, the lake is also called the Lake of Tiberius because of the city that was built there. These are the ruins of the city of Capernaum. This is where Jesus based his ministry for three years. Born in Bethlehem, lived in Nazareth, grew up in Nazareth, but by the time he was 29 or 30, he bases his ministry, those teaching years, the years that produce the Gospel of John, as you read all of the things he taught during that time, comes out of just about that area, that region, as he went from village to village, healing the sick and and proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God. It was here where Peter, uh, Peter's uh, wife and mother-in-law lived and stayed at her house. From here, from the shores of the Sea of Galilee, we have the words of Jesus. As he goes up to fishermen and asks how their fishing is and so on, and starts to get to know them and develops relationships with them, it's here, from the shores of the Sea of Galilee, we have these two words, Follow me. Simple. Notice he didn't say, do as I demand. He didn't say, just obey me. He just said, follow me. If he'd given demands, he could have demanded things from us he himself never did. But when someone says, follow me, they're asking you to do what they have done. 
They're not asking the impossible. They're not asking for you to be something that's unrealistic. Oh, He was the Son of God, but He was fully in the flesh. Suffered and tempted every way that we've been tempted. But He knew. When we followed Him and obeyed Him, baptized into Christ, filled with His Spirit, we have the capacity, we don't always do it, but we have the capacity to follow Him. And as a result, we are called disciples of Christ. We are people who follow Him. Several years ago, in fact, a little over ten years ago, a Scandinavian researcher decided to to count how many books on leadership and following are in that you can buy on Amazon. <laughs> he did research on this. It was like ninety-five thousand books on leading and seven hundred ninety-five books on following. That's a hundred and twenty to one ratio. What does that say about our world? I've been in a lot of homes of leaders, church leaders, and they and you can go to mine too in my library. I've got a lot of books on leading, on how to be a good leader, and you know, dynamic leadership, and all this kind. Do you know how many books I can even find on following that are any good? Part of the reason is how many of you would even buy a book about following? Because we don't want to follow. That's not something that just a hunger of our heart that I'm going to go buy ten books on how to be a good follower. I want ten books on how to be a good leader. Are you with me? And yet Jesus has not called us to lead. He didn't say take off and lead. He said, I want you to follow me. And following then becomes the most fundamental characteristic of what a Christian is. I don't have a lot of time because I think I'm supposed to already quit here before I got started. But let me just quickly point to some, some examples in Scripture you can read later of the kind of followers God does not want. You can go in the Old Testament and find some interesting examples, particularly in Numbers 14 and Numbers 16. You know, and that's not very far apart, and you'd think they'd learn from it, but they didn't. So good followers are good learners, and you've got to learn fast in the kingdom of God. But there was a rebellion against Moses. And they did not like going into the wilderness. That was not what they wanted. They left. They wanted out of Egypt and slavery, but they didn't plan on the wilderness being between slavery and the promised land. And you're going to find that out in a lot of things you do. As God leads you in places, there's sometimes a wilderness before you get to the promised land. And we have to go through some of these things. You don't go from single to perfect marriage in a year. You don't go from brilliant student to professor in a year. You don't go from an employee to the owner of the company in a year. There's a wilderness in between these. And they weren't ready to accept that. So they had the nerve, the gall, to tell Moses, you know what, we don't need you. We're going to choose a leader and we're going to go back to Egypt. And it's like, I didn't decide. This wasn't my idea. God chose Moses. It wasn't them. It was God who chose him. But they refused to follow him. So what did God do? This is where the turning point that actually creates this long story of the Exodus and 40 years wandering in the wilderness. This is the moment when they refuse to be followers of God's leader. God turns to them and says, None of the people who have put me to test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land. You're going to wander for 40 years. That's 
That's not the kind of words you want to hear, is it? God was patient ten times. Ten times they rebelled against Him. They were bad followers. And I would think things were so bad in Egypt, I'd follow anything Moses was going to leave me to do. It's got to be better than what we had in Egypt. And finally God said, I've had enough. That's not the kind of followers I want. So all of you who are party to this, you will never see the promised land. Your kids are going to have an opportunity to go, but you won't. That's not the kind of followers God liked. Two chapters later, you'd think they'd remember what just happened. Korah, who was one of the grandsons of Levi, the great priestly family and tribe, he gets 250 men, leaders of the community of Israel, and they go and rebel against Moses and Aaron. And, and what they say is, to me, it's a bit unbelievable. Korah says to Moses, God's appointed leader, you have gone too far. All of the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. So why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? That's when I would duck. Because the lightning is bound to strike real close. Can you imagine saying, we, all the church, we're more holy than the leaders that God has appointed. We don't have to listen to you. We're going to get our own leaders and we're going to go back to Egypt. They didn't even get why they were going out of Egypt. You remember it was God's promise through the seed of Abraham, all nations would be blessed back in Genesis 12. And this was just a part of God's plan and promise. And they were throwing it out. Because they were too short-sighted. And actually foolish. God's reaction? The earth opened up and swallowed all of them and all of the family of Korah. That's what God thinks about bad followers. He's got, you can read scripture, there's a lot in scripture about bad leaders. Look at every one of the kings of the northern kingdom. Everyone was bad. And God has his way of dealing with bad leaders. But in this case, they were bad followers. And God didn't have a lot of patience with it. You go to the New Testament and you find the same thing, except the language in the New Testament, because our dynamic is obviously different, mainly focuses on people who are divisive. Divisive people are bad followers. They want to go their own way. They will not respect leaders that a congregation has appointed or God has appointed. So in Romans 16, at the end of Romans, in this long discussion of how to accept one another, Jews and Gentiles in the church in Rome, he says, those who cause dissension and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. Just avoid them. Because they're not good followers. And Paul writes the same thing to Titus as he's a young preacher. He says, you've got to watch out for these people in churches. They can be pretty divisive and they're not good followers what you want to do is nurture and feed those who are willing to follow and really understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ. They're willing to be taught and willing to learn. This is a map of a church of 100 people. There's 25 people often at the core who do a lot of leading. And the rest, it's up to you how, well, how good of a follower you're going to be. Some people are passive followers. They, you know, they... They may show up, they may not. You can't count on them, but they see themselves as a member of that church. There are others that are good followers. When things are planned, they're a part of it. When they're asked to do something, 
even something they've never done, but whether it's bring food to an event or come to be a part of a singing for a funeral or whatever it is, they're always willing to be there and be a part of it. Those are good followers. Even when you ask them to do something that they may not feel that comfortable with, they're willing to do it. Even making comments at the Lord's Supper or leading a song or leading someone to Christ, any of that they're willing to do. Those are people who've actually listened to those words of Jesus by the Sea of Galilee. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. If we become good followers, here are some things. I'm going to suggest five things that if you're taking notes, this may help you reflect and pray about. But if you really want to be a healthy follower of Christ, it starts by submitting to God. James, leader in the church in Jerusalem, said this in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. God opposes the proud. And the reason I'm looking at this verse is bad followers are typically hindered by their own pride. Like nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to leave. I already know where I'm going. And, of course, there's a way that seems right to man and the end thereof is the ways of destruction. <laughs> and sometimes we have to suffer the consequences of our own foolishness before somehow God gets our attention and we realize, you know, there's a better way of doing this. I'd rather listen to God and do it His way. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. That's where it starts. Good followers submit themselves to the Lord. And those are the kind God wants to lead in his family. A second thing as active followers is use your gifts, your spiritual gift, in at least one area of ministry to, to keep the body healthy. If my arm never worked, I'd have a hard time speaking. Because as you know, I like to speak with my hands. And I'm not Italian. <laughs> I like to speak with my hands. And if this hand never worked, it's like... You only get half the message. You have to have both hands to get the whole message. And we need everybody, the hand, the foot, mouth, all working together. And that's what good followers are because right now my body is following where my spirit and my mind is leading me right now. And that's how the body, the family of God works. A third thing is just obey leaders. Hebrews 13 there's an interesting dynamic in 10 and 17, those verses. It's bookended by remember your leaders and the outcome of their way of life and obey your leaders. I mean, it is as specific. You can't even work around it and interpret it in any other way. As disciples of Christ, we obey our leaders. Now, in my experience, when I have to obey, it's generally something I don't like or don't agree to. If it was something I was already thinking of and wanted to do anyway, that's not really obedience. That's just having it my way. But when I'm asked to do things, I'm led to do things by leaders in the body of Christ, I obey. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do it with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let me give you one example of how this is so important in all our spiritual life. And I've seen this as a preacher and served as an elder for 10 years. I've been so grateful for these contexts where people have actually obeyed me as a leader. I approach a best friend of mine where I thought he was having an affair on a Sunday afternoon. 
And the woman he was having an affair with, who happened to be one of our deacon's wives, came in. He called her and she met with us. And they confessed that this was taking place. And at that point, I plead and urge and beg them to do the right thing. And in 30 minutes, they did. They did. They repented of what they did. They broke off the relationship. One of the marriages did not survive. The other marriage is stronger today than it's ever been. But had I not sought to have spiritual influence in their life, and had they not obeyed me at that moment, there had been two disastrous marriages and families and that you, sometimes you can never unravel. Obedience is not telling me what I can eat and when I can eat and when I can breathe and all. That's not what this is about. This is about God speaking through spiritual leaders who's, who are concerned about your soul and they want you to end well and stand before God on the day of judgment and hear God say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what they're there for. So the obedience is, is something that protects your soul. It is something good. And I hope that I will always have, and I told all our fellow elders, if I'm ever doing anything wrong, Please let me know. I want to submit. Because I trust them. They have the best intentions for me. And I hope you feel that way for any of the leaders that God puts in your life. And then you'll be a good follower of Christ. God didn't expect you to figure this all out on your own. And He knows we're tempted. He knows we have struggles and challenges. So He's going to put godly people in our lives to help us do this. The most un-American verse in the Bible is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Believe me, this is the most un-American verse. I told you that culture corrupts what it means to lead and to follow. This is one corrupted by our culture. Specifically, submit to one another at a reverence to Christ. Whew. We, we have a hard time doing that even in marriage with one person, much less a whole group of believers but disciples of Christ are submissive. Did Jesus submit? We're following Jesus. Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll take up your cross daily. Jesus submitted. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, not my will, but thine be done. I wish this cup would pass, but Lord, not my will, but thine be done. He submitted. If you follow Jesus, you will submit to the mission and purposes of God as well as the people of God who are seeking to do His will. And then, if you have time, read 1 Thessalonians 5. Those who are good followers respect their leaders, but they also care about one another. There's a, there's a level of brotherly love that if we're good disciples, we will care for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And number six, this was discussed yesterday morning with our group. Uh, that met Ephesians 4, 1 through 5, and I went on through verse 7. But Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of Lord, a prisoner of the Lord, which is a pretty humble, submissive point in his life, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager. Something you're eager to do. Good followers of Christ are eager. They desire it. They're just hungry 
to keep God's family all on the same page and loving and caring for each other. Doesn't happen by itself any more than kids fussing will solve their problems by themselves. Someone has to parent it. Someone has to nurture and guide all of us at times in our own immaturity so that we can be one in Christ and honor God. If I look at this as a progression from passive followers to active followers to leaders, what are obstacles between each of those transition points? What keeps me from going from a passive to an active follower in Christ? Even in this church, what would keep you from doing that? What would keep you from transitioning from an active follower of Christ to a leader in this church? What are the obstacles that that sort of block the way? I'm going to conclude with three. Each one of these would be a sermon in itself. But I hope it's something that lets you reflect on it as you try to become a more active follower of Christ. The first one is individualism. Social studies, sociological studies in the American society will tell you it's the number one value taught in the American home. And the Lord knows it's been taught in Montana. You defend yourself, you, you, your own person, you care for yourself. That individualism is good in many ways. I don't discount it. But it's bad at the point where you can no longer function as a group and a body. It works against us being the group, the people of God. And it certainly works against being a good follower. Because as a follower, I can't always do what I want to do when I want to do it. I work within a community of believers. The second one is consumerism. This is not new, but it's getting worse and worse and worse. Because as it carries over into our spiritual world, it's the desire for all of us to judge our church by what we like and what we get from it, not where we want to serve in it. That's consumerism. I want to take from the church, but I'm not willing to give anything back. And if the church doesn't give what I want and meet my bill, it's like changing grocery stores. It's like changing where I shop. It's like changing because we're so consumer-driven now that the consumer has the last word. Well, the church isn't a business. We're not here to keep everybody happy. We are. I'm glad you can keep us warm on a cold day like this. I like comfortable seats. In Africa, we sat on logs. And services went three hours. Boy, it's hard to stand up after that. And it's hard to sit down anywhere else after that. You know, yes, we like comfort and we, we judge things by that. We like the singing to be good and the sermon to be good. All kinds of things that we can use to judge churches. But in the end... Many churches are not serving because a lot of passive followers have not kicked it in gear and become active followers in order to make even those services good and to care for others because they're just taking. If you have more people that takes than you have that gives, what's going to happen? It's going to implode. It's going to run out of resources. It's going to dry up. And a lot of churches are dying today because there's more people taking than there are giving. Fight the consumerism in all your life, but especially as it dominates your spiritual life, because the church really ought to be, as a follower of Jesus, you will seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and then know all these things are going to be added. And He he fulfills His promises. The third thing is just flat-out sin. Many people are terrible followers because of pride, just their own pride. Again, they don't want anybody telling them what to do, showing them what to do, they'll figure it out themselves. But a lot of time, 
And a lot of relationships can be wasted in our own self-discovery when we could have gained wisdom from so many other people. Pride. It's assuming that I always know what is best. I hope you take this, these two words with you today. The words of Jesus. I know this, everybody memorizes the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. But these two words are even more important. When Jesus invites all of us to follow him. And I hope I've given you some idea of what that would look like to be a follower of him. We're going to sing a song. If you feel like that you're not even a Christian, you want to be a follower of Christ, it's, it's always an, an open invitation to be a disciple. The, the kingdom of God is always an inviting, welcoming place. And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and want to be baptized into Him, be a part of His family, you're welcome to do that today or anytime. If you don't know enough about it, ask someone to, to study it with you. Or if you've commitment and you've been following other voices and not Christ and you want to come back to that, ask for the prayers of, of Christians. And it's always good to just go public with what you want to do next. That's why not too many of us go public with our New Year's resolutions. But if you go public with that you want to be a follower of Jesus and a good follower of Jesus, an active follower of Jesus, and everybody knows you want to do that, you're going to get good encouragement. And this is a good place to get that. Respond to Christ. He's telling you, follow me as we stand and sing this song.